passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. This morning we're going to continue in the book of Philippians. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to to go ahead and open up to Philippians. Um, Last couple weeks we've been going through Philippians chapter 2. This is a really powerful uh, passage uh, just filled with wonderful verses. Um, One of the most well-known chapters really in the Bible. And and I want to just remind ourselves of, of where we've been to this point in the book of Philippians. So Paul begins, I guess let's just focus on Philippians 2 because of time. Uh, Philippians 2, Paul begins by, by focusing on this charge for the church. He says, hey church, I want you to have the exact same mindset. I want you to think the same way. I want you to have the same heart posture as a church. And, and he goes through that in verses 1 through 4 of Philippians chapter 2. And, and what do we see that that heart posture is? This attitude that should really cultivate, that we should all cultivate in our lives in the church. And that is found in verses three and four. He says this Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this is really what Paul is, is talking about when in. in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he gives us like the thesis or the main point of the letter where he says, hey, I want you to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And then he says, hey, this is exactly how I want you to do that in the church. When you're interacting with others, I want you to put others first in your life. But then Paul doesn't just stop there. He goes from that point and he gives that charge. And then he says, hey, this is more than just the key to being a unified, united church, by the way. This is something much more important than just that. This is actually the key to being like Jesus. And that's what we see in verses 5 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, hey, if you want to know what true humility looks like, if you want to know what it actually means for you to to lay down your life, to inconvenience yourself for the sake of serving others, then just look at Jesus. And look at Jesus's heart posture, his attitude in the midst of the entire story of salvation, leaving heaven, coming to earth, going to the cross. All was done with this posture of humility, of considering others better than yourself. But then we get to last week, and last week we looked at verses 12 through 18. And in verses 12 through 18, we see that Paul actually is building on this passage or on this this challenge, this command to to be humble, to to think of others first. And he says, hey, I want to focus on one area in particular. And I want to focus specifically on your heart attitude when, when things don't go the way that you want them to. And all of us have likely experienced this with our lives. When things don't go the way that we want them to, it is so easy for us to complain. It is so easy for us to grumble and to find ways that we can argue with other people. And Paul says, hey, I don't want that anywhere near the church. If we are going to be a people who have the same heart posture, who have the same mindset, who put others before themselves, if we're going to increasingly live out the gospel and increasingly be like Jesus, then we need to know or, or consider how we're going to respond to the things that we cannot control in our lives. And your life might be going off the, ra- or the rails, but you still have enough reason to celebrate because of the gospel. And so cultivate joy with your life rather than grumbling and complaining. 
And this morning we're coming to the end of Philippians chapter 2. And if you've looked ahead, Philippians 2, 19 through 30, if you're familiar with this passage, um, it's this powerful passage, but it might not seem that way on, on the surface. It's a, it's a powerful passage about gospel humility, but specifically in the context of how it looks in our day-to-day lives. Not in the, the grand moments of our lives, but simply in the day-to-day, relatively mundane things that we do. How do we live out gospel humility, putting other people first? And as I mentioned, if you scan these verses, 19 through 30, you may notice that this is a passage, it's really different than what, what has come before in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, 1 through 18, filled with some of the most powerful, most beautiful, most applicable, most beloved verses in, in the entire Bible. And then you get to 19 through 30, and we have a travel log. It's basically a, a, an update from Paul to the church in Philippi saying, hey, this is what people are going to be doing when they travel to you. I'm, I'm not sending Timothy right away, but I hope to. And instead, I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you. And, and he gives us all of these details about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And, and on a quickly, quick read, it might not seem like there's all that much for us to glean, but... If we believe that God's word is inspired, and and I think everyone here does, we here at Crosswinds do, then we also believe that these passages have have much to teach us, and and they have much to to help us grow and help us to become more and more like Jesus. And so we're going to take some time uh, to look at these verses this morning. I I mentioned that uh, verses 19 through 30, they're they're a travelogue. They're filled with logistics of who's traveling where and, and why and when. And yet when we read these verses in light of what Paul has just said, and that's how we have to read the Bible. We have to read the Bible in light of what has already been said. When we, when we consider these verses in, in light of Paul saying, hey, I want you to be obedient. Hey, I want you to be a people who, who are humble, who put others first in your lives. When we read verses 19 through 30 in that context, then we see that, that Paul's actually giving an illustration He's actually using these two men as an example to say, hey, this is what it looks like to be humble. This is what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus and and to be obedient to him and to his calling in your life. In the day-to-day, what seems to be insignificant moments of your life, this is how you be humble. And here's the really important thing for us as we consider these verses. Humility in Philippians chapter 2, the humility that we see from Jesus, this humility that leads him to come from heaven, to, to come to earth, and, and to, to go to the cross, it's actually most often on display in our lives, not in the massive actions of self-sacrifice, but in the day-to-day. And every single small decision that you make, and what seems like it's mundane, what seems like it may be ordinary, that is where we live out gospel humility. Extraordinary obedience is is extraordinarily ordinary most of the time. And that's what we see from Epaphroditus and and Timothy in these verses. They're an intentional reminder to us. Humility works itself out in our life. Not not so much in the, the big stage moments when everyone is watching, but behind closed doors. And what you do in the morning before you get up and go to work. And the decisions you make on your way to work, when you're at work, the decisions you make with your family. These are the moments that show and and are the opportunity for us to cultivate humility in our lives, to cultivate this this 
mindset that says, hey, I'm going to put others before myself far more than what we do when we're in front of a a large group of people and everyone is watching. These verses are beautiful because they remind us of one simple truth, and that is as we're walking the path of obedience, humility is primarily expressed. It's primarily expressed in life's thousands of minute decisions each and every day. Each and every day you have an opportunity to be humble, an opportunity to put others first. If you're married, it could be your spouse. If you're a parent, it could be with your children instead of thinking about how you can please yourself. If you're working with others, it can be uh, with your coworkers. If you stay at home with kids, it's by putting the kids first. These verses remind us that the call to obedience is extraordinarily ordinary. But God uses that for our growth, for our good, and ultimately for his glory. So here's what we're going to do this morning as we look at these verses, 19 through 30. We're going to, we're going to see that, I, that Paul is actually he's shifting. He's shifting from imperative, this command. And he's given us a lot of commands so far in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to switch from imperative to illustration. That's really what these verses are. They're an illustration of what it looks like to live out this charge. So let's pray as we approach God's word. Father, as we we come to you and and to your word, um, we we thank you for it. We thank you that these verses are are still applicable to to this day. And we ask that um, as we devote the next few minutes to this passage, that you would speak to us. God, that your spirit would dwell with us, whether we are here in person or Um, whether we're worshiping together online at home. We thank you that your spirit transcends location. And so God, we ask and we trust that you will use this text to work in our hearts and lives to make us more and more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so the first paragraph here is all about Timothy. Timothy is, is the focus of 19 through 24. And here we see how Paul is, he's actually posturing, he's positioning Timothy as an example of humility in the day to day. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you're probably familiar with Timothy. Timothy was kind of Paul's right hand man. He had raised him and discipled him from a very young age to, to serve the gospel and serve the, the church. And, and he is, he's a person who's learned more from Paul than I think anyone else has. Let's consider what Paul has to say in uh, verse, starting in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So as we consider these, these verses, I want us to just look at it really in, in, in two veins of thought. First, I want us to consider Paul, or Timothy's travel plans, really the logistics. What is Paul actually saying here? And then second, I want us to see how it reveals Timothy's character. So let's go ahead and, and talk about the travel plans. First, remember the context of Philippians, Philippians written around 60 A.D., um, over 1,950 years before us today. This is a time, the only, only form of long-distance communication in that day was via handwritten letters. 
that had to be sent by someone. Someone had to carry a letter from one location to another if you were to communicate over long distances. And so it makes good sense that Paul is, is writing some travel plans here for the church in Philippi. He has no other medium, no other method to communicate with them what Timothy is going to be doing. Now, at the same time, Paul is a, is a prisoner in Rome. He's not able to leave. He's, he's in, under house arrest. He's, he's awaiting trial. And, and at some point before this, the church in Philippi, they hear about Paul's imprisonment. They take up this offering, and then they go ahead and send it to Rome. And, and we'll see in, in a little bit that it's actually Epaphroditus who, who brings it from Philippi to Rome to bring it to Paul. And Paul is writing Philippians, this book, as, as a response to that gift that, that Epaphroditus and the church in Philippi have sent him. And he shares some of his own upcoming plans with them as well. And at this, pers- at this point, Paul says, the only person who is still with me here in Rome while I'm under house arrest is Timothy. Timothy is the only one with me. And it's, it's possible that the church in Philippi thought that Paul would actually send Timothy once Epaphroditus got there. This makes sense, right? Epaphroditus is coming. He's going to serve you in Rome. You go ahead and send Timothy out so that way he can be used by God uh, either here in Philippi or, or in the churches that you've planted all across Europe, all across Asia Minor. But what we see is, is that's not the case. Paul is not going to send Timothy back to Philippi, at least not yet. And we see that the reason why in these verses is because Timothy has a unique gift. He has a unique skill set, and they're going to be better used for the kingdom of God, with Paul in Rome, at least for this season. And then he says, hey, I hope to send Timothy to you shortly. And the way it reads, it's almost like, once I find out what's going to happen to me, once I find out the verdict of my trial, then I'll go ahead and send Timothy to you. And I hope to come to Philippi as well, is how Paul ends this paragraph. So those are logistics. That's, that's the, the travel plans, kind of serves as the foundation for what we're about to see about Timothy's character here. Verses 20 through 22 are are really the heart of of Timothy's character here, aren't they? Notice what they say about Timothy. They reveal that Timothy shows his humility in his genuine concern for the well-being of others. Timothy shows humility by being genuinely concerned for how others are doing, for their their well-being. More than he is concerned about his own well-being, he's concerned about the well-being of others. Take a look at verses 20 through 22 again. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I want to remind you of something that we we mentioned when we were in the beginning of Philippians chapter 1, several weeks ago in this book. Uh, To some extent, the church in Rome had begun to, to distance itself from Paul. As Paul was sitting in prison, they, they thought that that was a black mark on the, on the church, and so they began to disassociate with him, something that they began to distance themselves, that, that Paul's imprisonment was something to be ashamed of. It's something that made the gospel look bad. And so the church actually begins to pull away from Paul in Rome. But, but notice how Paul considers his imprisonment. We see this in, in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
Paul considers his imprisonment to be used by God in this paradoxical, paradoxical way that God is using Paul's shackles to further the gospel in a way that he wouldn't have otherwise imagined to be possible. And even though large swaths of the church in Rome, they're beginning to distance themselves from Paul, that's not the case here with Timothy. No, Paul says, Timothy is still with me, and Timothy doesn't care if his reputation begins to take a hit by associating with Paul. That's, that's not a concern to, to Timothy. He knows that by associating with Paul, he's aligning himself with the cause of Jesus in Rome. And what's more, he knows that even if everyone, even if everyone abandons Paul, he's not going to. Because if Paul doesn't have anyone, then he is not going to survive. In the first century in Rome, prisoners were required to take care of themselves, especially those under house arrest. And so if, if Paul doesn't have anyone, any resources taking care of him, then Paul will not survive. And if Timothy begins to pull back, if Timothy begins to distance himself from Paul for the sake of Timothy's own reputation, no one's going to be able to take care, no one will take care of Paul. And Paul will die. In short, what we see from, from Timothy in, in Paul's imprisonment as he is working with Paul during this time, it shows that he cares more about Paul's well-being than he does about his own. Here's a man, he essentially imprisons himself. Voluntarily, he imprisons himself so that he can meet Paul's needs. Verse 20 tells us that this genuine concern for Paul's well-being is not just only about Paul. Timothy shows this exact same heart attitude, this same humility with everyone that he encounters. It's, display on, it's in dis, on display in all of his interactions with other people. You see how Timothy is a living example of humility here? of how he's following the path of Jesus. Today, we, we revere the Apostle Paul. Because of the distance of time, we've seen how much he has, has written that is found in the New Testament, that God used him to, to write part of the New Testament. We, we see that, that Paul has planted churches that all over Europe and Asia Minor. And yet from... The distance of time, we can see that, but, but in person, in the first century, that wasn't the case. And a lot of people didn't like Paul. A lot of people didn't want to be around Paul. They didn't want anything to do with him and to associate with him. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't something that people would sign up for and say, hey, yeah, I want to go be with Paul because then I get to be in prison. No, that's, that's not the case here. And, and many times, it was a form of career suicide. That if you wanted to, to be used by God in a big, mighty way, if you wanted to, to have a platform where you could preach the gospel and share with all these sorts of people, you wouldn't want to be with Paul. You wouldn't want to be associated with him. You'd have to cut ties with him, and yet, that's not what Timothy does. Timothy doesn't have time for those types of thoughts. He, 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 he doesn't care if he is adequately recognized or if, or if he's positioned right now for, for possible future success that God can use him in the future. He's concerned about being faithful right now, not about being more productive later on. Instead of seeking his own interests, verse 20, what we see is that Timothy opts to follow the way of Jesus. Jesus, of course, is the one who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Let me be abundantly clear 
to follow the way of Jesus is not at all glamorous. To be genuinely concerned with the well-being of others may mean that you miss out on opportunities for career advancement. It may mean that you have less free time to do with whatever you desire. It may mean associating yourself with people that the world sees is not worth it or as people that you should disassociate from and, and not be friends with. But isn't that the path of Jesus? The friend of sinners? You see, here in this paragraph, Paul, Paul's saying that this has been Timothy's pattern of life from the very beginning. Notice in verse 22. Verse 22 here, he says, You know Timothy's proven worth. That's how he starts it. He's referring to the Philippians' own experience with Timothy. Timothy was with Paul when they planted the church in Philippi about a decade before this. And Paul's saying, hey, even when we were there in person 10 years ago, you saw that this is just the type of person that Timothy is. He cares about people. He's genuinely concerned about the well-being of others. For over 10 years, Timothy is someone who has served in the background. Here's a man, young age, from the very beginning. Once he became a Christian, people knew he had raw talent. In fact, his, his home church in Asia Minor, they, they, they recognized that he was special, even as a teenager. And so when Paul was coming through town, they said, hey, take Timothy with you because he, we, we can see that God has big plans for him. And what were those big plans? They were to serve Paul in prison. It wasn't glamorous but it was the way of Jesus. What if we were that type of people? That type of people who would just lay down our pride, lay down our egos, lay down our agendas, and, and with John the Baptist, just say, I must decrease, he must increase. That we would be genuinely concerned for the well-being of others. And, and might God be calling us on that path today? And the answer, of course, is Yes. That God is calling us on that path, far from the glory of the world, far from the glamour of the world, to just be faithful and to be genuinely concerned, not with ourselves primarily, but with other people. To be a people who, who see that, and I'm speaking from my own season of life right now, to, to see that the path of humble obedience is filled with dirty diapers and sleepless nights. That the, the path of obedience is, is, is one that, that seeks to do a job well done rather than a job well recognized. To, to follow Jesus in this path of humble obedience means that we might say no to work opportunities so that way we can be with our family more and invest in them. To see that this, this path of humble obedience sometimes says no to travel opportunities so that way you can invest in the local church on a weekend. Because either the path of, of humble obedience is the one that, that has an open dinner table and is filled with an eclectic family of God. Timothy is a sterling example of humility because he genuinely concerns for others. And he puts their well-being in front of his own. Let's keep looking because Paul says uh, the exact same thing or, or talks similarly about Epaphroditus. This is another example for us to emulate. Verses 25 through 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed, he was ill. 
near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. All right, so let's unpack this, kind of following the same format that we just did with Timothy. First, we're going to just talk about the details, the logistics of what Paul is saying here, and then second, look at how that reveals Epaphroditus' heart. So Paul isn't sending Timothy right away, but he is sending Epaphroditus, and and Epaphroditus is going back to Philippi, and um, to understand what's taking place or what's being written here, we just have to kind of look in between the lines of of what happened to lead to this moment right here. Philippians 4.18, you can write that down and and look at it later. Philippians 4.18 tells us that it's actually Epaphroditus who brings the, the gift from the church in Philippi to Rome to Paul in Rome. And this is a long journey. It's over a thousand miles by land. And over the course of this journey, at some point, Epaphroditus gets sick. Now, Epaphroditus wouldn't have been traveling alone. He's, he's carrying a large sum of money in a very, you know, um, dangerous time on, on, on roads for a long distance. And so there's people with him. And at some point, someone went back to Philippi. Epaphroditus has gotten sick somewhere on the journey, and now he sends someone back, or someone goes back to Philippi and says, hey, just so you know, things aren't going well with Epaphroditus. We need to be praying for him. And then Epaphroditus and the rest of the group, and we don't know how many, decide to go the rest of the way to Rome. Now, illness in the first century was especially dangerous, especially on the road. And we don't know what illness he had, but it's clear he was close to death, because Paul says that here in this passage. And what's likely uh, for, for Epaphroditus's original plans, and we see this in the language that, that Paul uses here um, at, at the very end, I think it's in verse 30, where he says, for Epaphroditus was going to do what was lacking in your service to me. So it looks like what Epaphroditus's original plan when he left Philippi was to arrive in Rome, and then he would take a similar role as what Timothy does. Basically, I'm going to serve Paul. I'm going to serve the church here in Rome in, in whatever way possible. I'm going to stay with Paul. I'm going to make sure that his needs are met. And yet, as, as things so often do, circumstances changed, didn't they? Here's a man who had plans to serve in Rome, and yet life happened. He got sick. He almost died, and he becomes increasingly concerned, Epaphroditus does, and he's he's torn here. He he becomes increasingly concerned, not about his illness, but but because his own home church, they're they're still praying for him, and they they haven't gotten an update about whether Epaphroditus is going to to make it or not, and and so he's torn here. His heart says, I want to go back to Philippi. I want to serve God there. I want to make sure everyone that I know and love back at home knows that I'm okay, that God has answered your prayers. And yet I have this responsibility here, this responsibility to serve Paul as kind of the, the representative for the church in Philippi. And, and, and his heart's calling him one way, but his, but his sense of duty is calling him another way. And so Paul just takes the decision out of his hands, doesn't he? He says, hey, you know what? Change of events. I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi right away. Instead of having him serve here with me, I don't want you to think he's a failure, though. And so when he gets there, I want you to make sure that you honor him. Notice his emphases that Paul puts here in this letter. First, verse 25, he stresses that he is a co-laborer with Epaphroditus. 
Their relationship is one of equals. He values him highly. He is a brother. He is a co-worker. He is a fellow soldier. Paul is stressing the, the blessing that this interaction, even though it's been brief, even though it's, it's being cut short, Paul has been blessed by Epaphroditus and his ministry. And notice what else he says in verse 25. He calls him your messenger, your minister to my need. He stresses that Epaphroditus, even though he's not staying as long as everyone thought he would, he's meeting every single one of the needs that you sent him out to meet. Every single thing that you wanted Epaphroditus to do, he has done it for me. Now, after that, he stresses the the welcome that he wants Epaphroditus to have when he gets back to Philippi, one of joy and honor to celebrate this man because he has done, he has served well. Epaphroditus' commitment to the gospel, his concern for others, it's worthy of honor. And life doesn't go the way that, that Epaphroditus expects. And yet he still remains faithful. The church in Philippi, they may have expected big things out of Epaphroditus while he's serving in Rome, and that's not what happens. But Paul says that he has done exactly what God wants him to in this moment. Notice verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I find this verse to be absolutely enlightening for two reasons. First one, notice what it says about sickness. Paul says that even though he nearly died for the work of Christ, and usually when we think of dying for the work of Christ, we typically think of persecution, right? But this wasn't persecution. This was just illness. And yet it was illness that he got, that he got sick while in the path of obedience. Suffering for the sake of Jesus is not just limited to persecution. Paul calls Epaphroditus's illness that he suffered while doing the work of Christ, suffering for the sake of Christ. Consider the way one commentator puts it. Others could have caught the exact same sickness, but it would not have been suffering for Christ if they were living for themselves and not risking everything for Jesus. Suffering that comes on the path of obedience to Christ is suffering for Christ. Epaphroditus opened himself up to the risk of suffering the moment he left the comfort of his normal routine in Philippi and traveled to Rome in order to minister to Paul. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be an incredibly encouraging thought. That it's not just about persecution. Illness, hardship, inconveniences, those things that, that we suffer and we will suffer them while in the path of obedience to Jesus, that Jesus actually considers those things to be suffering for his sake, provided we remain faithful. Second thing from this passage, or from this verse, I just hone in on the word service here. This is a really important word that that is used by the Apostle Paul because it's used in a special way in the Old Testament. Almost every single time this word is used in the the Old Testament, it, it refers to the religious service of the priests and the Levites before God. This is a is a religious act. This is worship. And worship is service to God. I think that's the exact same thing that is in view here. Epaphroditus' act of worship is an act of service. This is a thousand-plus-mile journey from Philippi to Rome. It's done with the intention of of serving Paul. It's It's an act of worship, making himself available to meet 
Paul's needs, whatever they may be. That's an act of worship. And the same is true for us today. Worship is not just something that takes place on Sunday mornings. It's not just the songs that we sing. It's also hearing God's word. This is a form of worship. In fact, we try to be really intentional here at Crosswinds about using that language. Worship through song. Approaching God's word, we worship through hearing God's word and submitting ourselves to it. And then we go out and God calls us to worship, a form of worship, the rest of our lives. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, worship encapsulates all of life. And it includes the, our, our obedience in the mundane. And in the trying, in these difficult circumstances, it, it is just a, as much about how you treat others on Monday morning as the words that you sing on Sunday morning. Remember the words that Paul says elsewhere, Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. All of your life should be dedicated to worship. There isn't a square inch of your life, to borrow a phrase from Abraham Kuyper, there isn't a square inch of your life where Jesus doesn't deserve honor and glory from you. That's the heart posture we see from Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus shows his humility by his commitment to service, no matter matter what the circumstances. That's how he lives out his humility in his day-to-day life. He shows humility in his commitment to serve others, no matter what the cost. Even at the cost of his own life, potentially, he is committed to serving others, and that's humility. This commitment to look for ways that we can be serving others, even when the road is costly and hard. We're coming to the end here, but, but just notice one, one other example of humility in these verses. It's the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul is, is deeply concerned about the welfare of others. Paul, throughout this passage, he's just another example of humility. He's a man who shows humility in his interactions with others and fellow ministers. He's an apostle. He's, he's like the top dog here. And he could put, point to his credentials, and he could boss people around, and yet notice how he refers to Timothy in verse 22. He doesn't say that Timothy is a person who served for me in the sake of the gospel. No, Timothy served with me. Notice how he refers to Epaphroditus in verse 25. This is someone who is a fellow worker and a brother and a fellow soldier. He doesn't exalt himself above others, even though From just a purely secular standpoint, he had every reason to do so. Paul isn't concerned that people would not give him enough credit. He's far more concerned that people would be thinking too much of him and not enough of Jesus. And that's what we see here. Paul shows humility in his attitude toward others. In his attitude toward others. Ask yourself, what, what does our attitude reveal about us? How we think of others do we see ourselves as the only ones who can do it or do it well, or, or do we not include others into the, the, the cause of Christ? What is our attitude toward others? Humility is primarily expressed in life's thousands of minute decisions each and every way. I love the way that um, Fred Craddock, um, he, he describes this truth. He says this, and notice this is dated, um, this is, when there were still $1,000 bills out there, okay? Just so you know, because I was confused by that when I read this at first. 
To give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord, I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he is sending us to the bank and has us cash in that $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor kid's troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. Isn't that just a great picture of the Christian life? A life that is not spent all at once. Because honestly, that'd be a whole lot easier than spending it 25 cents at a time, 50 cents at a time, sometimes 75 cents at a time. Life gives us countless opportunities to show humility, to be like Jesus. And most of them are extraordinarily ordinary. We see that from Timothy. We see that from Epaphroditus. We even see that from Paul here. How might God be calling you to live out a life of humility? Not in the big flashy moments, but in the thousands of opportunities each and every day, in the ordinary, in the mundane. Let's pray. Father, we ask for grace. Grace to see chances each and every day to put others first. To lay down our ego, to lay down our pride, to lay down our sense of, of needing or feeling like we deserve to be served. And instead be someone who puts others first, just like Epaphroditus, just like Timothy, just like Paul. Help us to cultivate a heart, not just as individuals, but as a church who goes out of our way to pursue service for the sake of others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.